You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast that really loves a bad girl, even when she's dressed in purple armor and trying to kill you. Episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. If you didn't already know, this is a podcast covering the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. And thankfully, this time around, we've got Guy Gardner in the comic. Yes, he only plays a secondary role, unfortunately, Hal Jordan, but this is kind of Hal's story. If you haven't been listening over the past couple episodes, we've been covering the saga of how trying to get back with his former love, Carol Ferris, who's been possessed by the Zamoran princess, Star Sapphire, and the resulting effects that it's having on the rest of the Green Lantern Corps. Basically, making Jon Stewart insane, and making Brick a clingy, whiny girlfriend wannabe. <sighs> Women. Anyway, my name is Sean Engel, and I'm going to be your host for this show. Today, of course, we're covering the Green Lantern comic number 24, which is going to lead us into, obviously, Green Lantern number 25, which is going to change things significantly, and is basically the impetus for me starting up this podcast. But I'm getting ahead of myself, probably because, well, I hate to spoil it for you, for me this wasn't the best issue that I recall. It's a good one, nonetheless, and it does wrap up the story arc with Hal and Carol Ferris, or Star Sapphire, whoever you want to call her, but there are just some things in this issue that just don't do it for me in a Green Lantern comic. There's a few leaps in logic, the artwork isn't as great, and, well, I've just come to expect more out of the Green Lantern comics. Of course, now that I've sold you that wonderful bill of sale for the comic, you're probably switching off your MP3 player right now. But please don't, because right now we've got the obligatory commercials for other podcasts you should be listening to, and then we'll get back to the synopsis of Green Lantern number 24. Stay tuned. Why, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis? You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd erotica. Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. I was just kidding. Have a shot of trying it. Once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of strip fizzbent. Let me loosen that strap. Hey suckers, Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that shit too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that and we got more freaking comics than you can read in your entire miserable goddamn life. Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and goddamn Harry Potter and M... 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 Them goddamn Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. 
So you get your ass over to the Two True Freaks podcast at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. That's spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, all right? All right? Good. You can get there on the internet and choose from hundreds of quality Two True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a goddamn t-shirt? Remember, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain it the drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn. Dot com. 2010, the summer of fun. 2011, the summer of great, great men. And now, 2012 brings the summer of speed. Coming to Better in the Dark. Betterinthedarksite.com and Earth2.net. Better in the Dark. Eat our dust. In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion, Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Millions. Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. Protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? <laughs> well, they don't call them tight.
fights for nothing. <laughs> Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at greatcrypton.com. And welcome back. In an effort to delay getting to this issue, which... I'm certain isn't really selling it anymore for you people, but primarily to promote a wonderful person who's written in, we're going to read an email. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and this time out, the missive comes from Dave Walker, who writes, Hey, Sean, thank you for creating such a great show that I thoroughly enjoy every week. Sorry it's taken so long to actually write in. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate it, and I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Yeah, Dave goes on to say, Kyle Rayner is my Green Lantern. He's the first one I was introduced to back in the Superman animated series, although his origin was merged with Hal Jordan's in that him being the recipient of Avensur's ring. Then I got another origin through the Dennis O'Neill pen tale Heroes Quest, the novel that was part of the series of DC Comics-related tomes released just under a decade ago. It again differed slightly from the original story, and I would find this out shortly thereafter, as this was about the time I finished reading my post-crisis Superman catch-up and my Wally West flash run. Having seen certain events that would lead to what would happen to a certain character, trying to keep it vague, but it's the Coast City thing, I decided to read the Green Lantern issues from around the death of Superman on, which would eventually get me into Kyle's origin, which in my opinion was great. I was shocked by certain events that would befall Kyle and the characters that would become supporting characters for a while in that series, such as Jade, Alan Scott's daughter. Yeah, Dave, I love the portrayal of Kyle Rayner in the Superman the Animated series. Yes, they did kind of fudge the origin by making him essentially the Hal Jordan character, but he was distinctly Kyle enough, and the show actually had some really great moments. I remember the animated series doing some really neat things with the Green Lantern powers, especially one scene where Kyle gets knocked through a building, and rather than crashing through it, like in Superman 2, where Superman threw Non through the building, Kyle phases through the building. It was just one of the first times I've actually seen that. Me, I actually picked up Kyle from the comics, so that's where I know I'm from, so we've got kind of an alternate origin, but we still have a love of the characters, so that's great. And yes, Kyle and his family of characters do go through a couple of changes that really affect the character in some unexpected ways. Dave continues, Guy's a character I don't always like, but that I generally enjoy reading about, if that makes any sense. Of course it does. Guy's not for everyone, trust me. He goes on to say, He's not always the nicest guy, obviously, Unintended, but he's still a hero and tends to do the right thing. He was given the ring for a reason. I'm hoping to enjoy how he's portrayed in the Justice League series once I get to reading it. Uh, I'm hot and cold on the Justice League series. Giffen kind of makes him out to be the sort of stereotypical right-wing buffoon, and he's really a, a lot more than that. There are some really touching moments in the story where Guy really professes his love for Ice and shows that he's more than just this brain-dead bruiser that everyone makes him out to be. 
Dave again continues, now my thoughts on Emerald Dawn. I'm not a fan of this one for one specific reason. The drunk driving thing to me seems like it shows a lack of willpower. That's it. The rest of the story is pretty good. If the accident had been caused by him arguing with someone else in the car or something similar that it meant his reckless driving was the cause of it, I would prefer it. It's not, however, a sin. I agree. To be honest, my favorite origin, HAL origin, is the New Frontier version. I enjoyed both the comic series and the animated feature that it was based on. I can see your point on the drunk driving thing. It's not the best way to set up your hero, but it does give HAL a redemptive story arc. Plus, they don't portray HAL as a lush. The drunk driving accident was simply that, an accident. It was a miscall in judgment and something that, well, any person probably could do. Yes, it's tragic, and it led to the death of one of his friends, but it also made Hal have to take responsibility for his actions, which is something he didn't seem to have to do prior to all this happening. But I will give you that the uh, Darwin Cook New Frontiers origin is a good one as well. In fact, if you want to listen to some coverage of the Darwin Cook New Frontier comic, as well as the movie, head on over to Hey Kids Comics, after you listen to this show, and check out their latest episodes. They're covering New Frontier, the comic, and the movie, so that should be a fun listen. Dave wraps up with, finally, my thoughts on Alan Scott. I don't have any problem with this character now being gay, but, as others have said, it negates the existence of Jade and Obsidian, which disappoints me. With the way Earth 2 is being written, that would have been the case anyway, as all of the characters are younger, and hopefully it'll be an enjoyable tell. One thing that we've not been completely informed of is what the other Earths in the DC Universe are made of, so it's always possible that there's one designated Earth, quote-unquote, have your cake and eat it, while the original Earth 2 characters are relaxing and growing old gracefully. You know, that would be really nice. I'm not the biggest continuity hound, but I do kind of miss the fact that we've got these characters from the 1940s, from the World War II era, who were superheroes, who... Some are analogs to the current-day heroes, who are basically the elder statesmen for the DC Universe. And the fact that they've taken these people and turned them young and changed their origins around, essentially, in my opinion, just to sell some comics, again, does a disservice to the whole idea of what the characters were, and does a disservice to the writers who spent so much time developing these characters. But I've preached enough about that. Dave finishes up with, thanks again for a great show. Well, thank you, Dave, and thank you for some great shows. If you don't know, Dave Walker is the podcaster who does the awesome show Flash Legacies. It's a podcast that's chronicling the adventures of Wally West, the third character to be known as The Flash. Dave does a really great show, and its format is similar to most of the podcasters' comic book formats, but... Instead of doing the stereotypical thing of synopsis, the notes, and all that, he peppers in his notes within the synopsis. Definitely another show to go check out. But with emails out of the way, let's go ahead and get on with the review of Green Lantern number 24. Green Lantern number 24 was cover dated May 1992, with a release date of around March 31st, 1992. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 60 pence UK. The title was The Decision. The writer was Gerard Jones, penciler and cover artist was Pat Broderick, 
Inker was Romeo Tangal, letterer was Albert Guzman, colorist was Anthony Tolan, editor was Kevin Dooley. Fearful that his friend and fellow Green Lantern, John Stewart, might be a tad bit cross about the presence of Star Sapphire, Hal Jordan tackles him, hoping to stop him killing Carol, or Carol killing him. Hal flashes back to the whole story of how he loved Carol. Then she became Star Sapphire and killed Cat Matui, yada yada yada, blah blah blah. But as Hal is reminiscing, John delivers an elbow to the face and flies off, determined to face the possessed paramour. But Hal throws up a construct wall, which John runs straight into. Enraged, John creates a ring construct sickle and prepares to slice Hal in half. But before he can, John comes to his senses as Hal tells him he needs to let this go. John says he can't, and as the two are about to have a Dr. Phil moment, Star Sapphire flies up behind them, ready to carry on the fight. Meanwhile, on the ship disabled by Star Sapphire, Creon monologues about how he underestimated her and thought how he thought he could control her. But just as Sulky McSulkenstein is about to give up the ghost, a crew member says that they've found his objective and that she's fighting the Green Lanterns. At the same time, Flicker is watching the fight from behind the hover desk. Planning to recapture the Lanterns and Star Sapphire, Flicker sees an opportunity for more business with the approach of more Green Lanterns. And those Lanterns, Larvox, Amanita, Chaselon, Kilowog, and Boudica, fire upon Star Sapphire, momentarily distracting her. But not long enough to keep her from grabbing John and holding a sword at his neck. The Lanterns look to Hal for leadership, as Creon tracks Flicker's ship as it approaches its intended prey. Realizing that they're at a standoff and tensions are rising, Boudica prepares to attack until her arm is lassoed by Flicker's whip. Unsure of where the next attack will come from, Hal orders the lanterns to be prepared. Suddenly, Flicker's ship is hit by... something, so Hal presses his advantage and flies in. Telling his compatriots to seal the hull, Hal goes after Flicker and punches him out of his hover desk. Crisis averted, Hal heads back to out to find Star Sapphire, but instead meets a lone Jon Stewart, who tells Hal that Sapphire just left. What? <sighs> Kilowog tows the ship that fired on Flicker, and our crew meet with Creon, who now wants to surrender himself to face charges for war crimes. Hal says that that will have to wait, as he asks for the status of the wounded. Kilowog says that Aa and Brick are hurt, but will be okay, just as Guy Gardner enters and meets up with the group. Saying that they'll need all the fighters that they can get when Sapphire returns, Hal welcomes Guy as John questions whether she will ever come back. But Hal is sure she will return, and a quick ring communication with Chaselon confirms that she has. Elsewhere, as Boudica and Sapphire engage in Hot Barbarian Chick on Hot Barbarian Chick combat, Hal and the rest of the Lanterns link their power rings together. Flying toward the combatants, Hal tells the Lanterns to use all their will in one big push, which knocks Star Sapphire out. But before Hal can cup an unconscious feel, John grabs the broadsword and holds the sleeping Sapphire at bay, threatening to kill her. Hal realizes that John is hurt and tells him to go ahead and do it. But John, realizing that this won't bring Katma back, tosses away the sword, and he and Hal use the rings to probe Sapphire's mind. The two get glimpses of Carol, but the Sapphire personality isn't going down without a fight. But finally, John and Hal rid Carol of the influence, 
and the grateful Carol Ferris embraces her former lover. Some time has passed, and Hal and John walk in front of the central battery on Oa. Hal says he only has two more recruits to find to meet his quota. Hal asks if Tomar too would be interested, and John admits that he would be a good recruit. John asks what Hal is going to do about Hot Widow on Rose now that Carol is back in the picture. Saying that Carol is too weak to make it with the Jordanator, Hal says he might keep Rose as a standby, which frustrates John, who obviously has feelings about Rose. Guy takes one look at the two girly men and says that he'd just decide what he wants and kick butt for it. Hal, eager to take Guy up on the kicking butt part of his offer, calls down his final recruit, the Teban commander Creon. Creon says that he's only known loyalty to his people, and now he's willing to devote that loyalty to the core. And as Nort finally has found his way back to Oa, Hal speaks the names of the assembled, and welcomes them all into the new Green Lantern Corps. Now, for most comics you'd think that'd be all, but like a Quinn Martin episode of a TV show, there's an epilogue. The epilogue is how Jordan flies to a single white tent outside the transplanted cities of Oa. He pulls back the tent flap and enters, checking on the well-being of Carol Ferris. Carol says that she's tired and confused, but thankful that Hal brought her back. Hal tells her to rest, and that he'll have her back to Earth soon enough. Carol remarks that she thought Hal was no longer the Lantern of Earth, but that Guy was. Hal tells Carol that he finished his recruitment deal for the Guardians, and now he plans on getting his sector back, whether Guy Gardner wants him to or not. ahead and get into it. This wasn't my favorite story of the Green Lantern series so far. I mean, it's a good story, it's a nice conclusion to the whole thing with Hal and Carol, but the artwork has taken a step down. Broderick doesn't seem as stylized, especially as good as he was in the first eight issues. There's also some coloring problems, but these are minor nitpicks. The major thing that sort of brings this story down is... Well, the story. At points in time, it's hard to follow what's going on, and sometimes there are just ridiculous things that happen to characters that wouldn't happen to real-life characters if they were in the same situation. But, general bitchiness aside, let's get to specific bitchiness in my notes. And we'll go ahead and start with the cover. It's a nice image of Star Sapphire getting ring-blasted by, well, not all of the Lanterns, Nort's not there, and I don't see Aa either, but she's basically getting beamed by all of the uh, lanterns that have assembled, and it looks pretty painful. Plus, of course, there's the misleading Death of Star Sapphire title at the top of the page, which obviously doesn't happen here. But one of the neat things is, is they've got plus the new Green Lantern Corps, and it's essentially the old Green Lantern Corps logo with just the word new speckled on there to make it sound like it's fresh and invigorated. Page one, once again, they decided to go with the 1960s Fantastic Four title font for the title of the book, The Decision. 
That's nice of Kirby and Lee to allow them to use that. Plus, there's a good old shot of Hal Jordan's butt for all the ladies out there. Sally P. will be impressed. Page 2, and it's actually numbered page 2, so that helps a lot, is a really nice splash page with various images of past events. You know, Carol in her original Star Sapphire outfit, which had the big white collar a la sort of Nightwing, I guess as well as Carol with Star Sapphire stabbing Kat Matui and John holding his dead wife's body. But it's the image of Sapphire stabbing Katma that's kind of uncomfortable. Now, I'm not really certain if we ever got the image of what Star Sapphire did to Kat Matui, but in this one she's basically bending her over and sticking her sword through her chest. Unfortunately, the way it looks, it kind of gives you the idea that Sapphire might be giving Katma a UFIA. If you don't know what UFIA stands for, go check out FARC.com or Urban Dictionary, and you can probably figure it out there. Page 3, after John's wanged Hal in the head with a good elbow to the face, Hal decides to stop John by putting up a ring construct wall, which effectively stops him, But then John retaliates by creating a ring construct sickle intended to slice Hal in half. So, I'm guessing the whole Green Lanterns can't kill thing was something that Jeff Johns made up. Page 6, panel 2, we get a picture of Flicker sitting behind the hover desk of the boss, which I'm wondering if he had, you know, professionally cleaned before he was sitting there, because you've got to assume there's a lot of blood and other bodily fluids lying around there. Ugh. Page 7, here's where some of the story elements get in the way and kind of detract from the story. In the first panel, we get the Green Lantern Corps of Amanita, Boudica, Chaselon, Kilowog, and all the rest shooting a Star Sapphire with the ring beam basically distracting her. Now, the beam is between her and Jon Stewart. Then on the next panel, or on two panels down, She's recovered from the hit and has suddenly gotten behind Jon Stewart and has him held prisoner with Star Sapphire's sword at his throat. Okay, Jon was away far enough in the first panel and not being held by Star Sapphire, as I can see. Well, it looks like she might be touching him. But if the ring blasted Sapphire, shouldn't have Jon been able to got away? just doesn't make any sense how she could, you know, turn around from being blasted by all the Green Lanterns and suddenly be able to get the upper hand. Page 8, panel 5, we get a simple coloring mistake as we've get a we've got an image of Larvox, the sort of one-eyed, you know, botanical slug-type Green Lantern, who, oddly enough, has curly orange hair, standing right beside Hal Jordan, who's not one-eyed, not botanical, and has the same sort of orange curly hair as well. It's a coloring issue, but, you know, just something that could easily have been fixed and wasn't caught in editing. Then on page 10, panel 3, is Hal blast into Creon, not Creon's, Flicker's ship. Hal yells, seal the crew against the vacuum. Let's not kill anyone. Hmm. Let me think. Last issue, he just smashed through Creon's ship, breaking open the windows, and... I'm assuming not telling anyone to seal up the windows or seal up the crew members so he didn't kill anyone. 
Why the change of heart, Hal? Then on page 11, we get the dramatic fight between Flicker and Hal, and Hal just basically punches Flicker out. That's it. No mentions of locking him up, having a lantern watch him, disabling his phasing ability, nothing. I mean, if Flicker was smart, he probably just waited until the Green Lanterns grouped up to attack Star Sapphire, and then he just went and buckered off. It, again, laps in storytelling. And then later on the page, Star Sapphire, who, if you remember from earlier, had Jon Stewart captive with her sword to his throat, has suddenly just gone away as well, leaving Jon dazed and not knowing what's going on. You know, she's killed people before. Why didn't she kill Jon Stewart? She had him right there and the other lanterns got distracted. It, it makes no sense. And it just flat out irritates me. Page 12, panel 6. Finally, Guy Gardner is here. And in the book right now, he is probably the most rational member of the Corps at this moment. And that's saying something. Then on page 13, panel 5, you get an image of Star Sapphire choking Boudica while Boudica grits and pulls at Star Sapphire's hair, getting ready to claw her face. And here's where a million internet slash fix of Star Sapphire and Boudica were started. Nice. Then on page 14, panel 3, we get Hal going, Give it whatever you can, whatever anger you have. Yeah, way to go, Hal. You just basically created the Red Lantern Corps. And here we go, seeing John vomiting up red energy, burning all the flesh off Carol. Way to go. That, that doesn't happen, but it'd be neat if it did. Page 15, panel 5, we get Hal saying, Go ahead, John. Kill her. And you can almost imagine the next panel going, you know, It's okay, John. You can kill her. She was a crazy bitch anyhow. And besides, I can always fall back on hot widow mom Rose, right? I mean, she's not with anyone, is she, John? Pages 16 and 17, we get the use of the classic Ditko nine-panel grid again. And unfortunately, on page 17, we get the classic use of the same image in five out of the nine panels again. I mean, yes, we get Carol's head superimposed over a couple of those panels, but still kind of lazy artwork. Plus, when Carol does come back, she's not in the star sapphire armor. She's in a nice sort of long purple dress. So I'm wondering, is the star sapphire armor kind of like the Green Lantern uniform? Does it just appear and disappear whenever you will it to? No idea. Plus, this page has the most unintentionally dirty line in the book with, Hal, John, I can feel you. So, take that as you will. Pages 18 and 19, we get the return to Oa, and of course, as soon as we get back to Oa, what do we get? Yellow buildings. Tons of them. But one of the neat things we get in this two-page sort of three-quarters panel splash is a long-distance shot of Boudica and Kilowog arm wrestling. (laughs) So they're getting along just fine. And then on page 21, we finally get a a jump in the yard as all the lanterns are there posing for the sort of picture and how introduces the new Green Lantern core. But the one thing that is the most awesome about this shot is Guy Gardner sitting down at a table eating donuts. 
Guy doesn't give two cares in the world. All he wants is his Krispy Kremes. <laughs> it's awesome. Then, of course, page 22, we get the final epilogue that I talked about, and I'm just thinking that this can't be very good for Guy Gardner. Something bad's probably going to happen to him. But that does it for notes. Let's go ahead and hit the ads in this comic and see what they've got to sell for us. Or to us. And the front inside cover has the Super Smash TV, the NE, not the NES version, but the Super NES version. Talked about that last time. Then a few pages in, we get Wilers Presents What's Holding Up the Game, and we get this image of these people in the stands of the baseball field, and there's cobwebs all behind them. Either that or Spider-Man's just been there. And there's the one kid who's awake at the baseball game saying, Bogus, man, all these guys are falling asleep. What's holding up the game? And then in the main panel, we see a image of the field from a high above home plate view. And we get the guy from the opening panel saying, There are ten things wrong with this scene. Can you find them all so we can start the game again? And of course, you know, there are some ridiculous things like one of the kids mowing the field while someone's trying to steal first. The pitcher's doesn't have a mound. One of the guys playing with a hockey stick. I think the reason everyone is asleep is actually because they're watching baseball, but that's just me. And then, of course, the bottom panel has the speakers announcing, and now, on with the game! And the kid in the backwards baseball cap says, and remember, the winning taste of Weilers helps get any game started. And then the final ad for it says, turn on the world with Weilers drink mix. And if you don't know what Weilers is, it's essentially... Well, it's essentially Kool-Aid under a different brand name. Not quite as good as the Capri Sun or the Three Musketeers ads, but it's trying. But then the page after that, we get some collectible cards that I could actually get behind. From Clark Kent to Hellbent, introducing DC Comics Cosmic Cards. A total of 180 cards featuring DC's all-time good guys and bad dudes from A to Z and all the new plus 10 DC Limited Edition Hologram Hall of Famers. DC Comics Cosmic Cards. Good news and bad news all rolled into one. And here we get a great image of the modern-day Superman. Looks like it might be... Looks like it might be a Perez. I'm not really certain, but he looks like he's flying out from the Statue of Liberty. Then at the bottom, of course, we get the popular character of the time, Lobo, with his sort of bulldog thing. I don't know. It's Lobo. Who knows? But these are definitely some cool-looking collectible cards. I would not complain about these at all. Again, we get another ad for the Game Genie, which is still only servicing the Nintendo Entertainment System, so it'll probably be gone pretty soon. And you get the Almost Ready to Fly EX or E2X Precision Rocket Series from Estes, and Covered that again, last issue. A few more pages in, we get the Great Eastern Convention's comic book convention schedule for April of 1992, with the biggest convention of the year in New York on June 5th, 6th, and 7th at the the Ramada Hotel. So, if you were there in New York in 1992, you could have seen people. They don't mention anyone this time. 
Next page, you get a dealer's ad for Twin City Books and an image of Impact Comics, including Web Number 10 and the Crusaders, which I guess was essentially the Avengers for the Impact books. Hmm. Then again, we get the whole hodgepodge page with a convention schedule for reality conventions, different than East Coast conventions. And then the next page, we get Kingpin for Collectors Back Issue Express, which has all their comics for sale at the time. And, of course, the highest-priced issue at the time is twenty nine fifty for issue number 298, the McFarlane Venom Amazing Spider-Man. Woo. The letters page doesn't have anything remarkable in it. They do have a question from Earl J. Woods about whatever happened to the Larry Niven Green Lantern project, to which the editor replies that he and John Byrne are working on it, and it should be out when it's done. If I'm recalling, this turned into uh, Ganthet's Tale, which was written by Larry Niven and penciled and co-written by John Byrne. It didn't come out for a while, but unfortunately I haven't read that, so maybe I'll have to go pick that up in my eventual comic book seeking. Then the back inside panel has the official trading card of Super Bowl Twenty Six, and you don't get to see what it is because it's so special. But it is a Super Bowl NFL Pro Set card, so there you have it. And sadly, the outside back cover is a Three Musketeers adventure that we've already covered. Yes, it's the Three Musketeers adventure where the archaeologists discover a giant T-Rex who also had a giant Three Musketeers bar hidden with him. So, there you have it. Sadly, no new Three Musketeers ad. I'm dying a little inside saying that. But the one thing that I'm happy about is next issue, which is an issue number 25, which is going to be a huge turning point in the Green Lantern story. This is the time when Hal Jordan and Guy Gardner have it out for who's going to be Green Lantern of Earth. And if you don't know who wins, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Let's just say one of them gets a solo series and one of them stays with the Green Lantern book. You'll find out next week. Until then, I hope you guys have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Gods, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast. And if you're kind enough to 
leave a review there. I'll make sure that I read it on the next show. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there, because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening song for today's show is Joan Jett and the Blackhearts with their song, Bad Reputation. As usual, you can either download the song from iTunes, or download the album from iTunes, or better yet, go to twotruefreaks.lipson.com, click the Amazon banner at the top of the page, and go download the song, download the album Bad Reputation, or download a myriad of other Joan Jett pen music. Your purchase from the Amazon.com link at Two True Freaks helps Chris and Scott make sure that the podcasts keep running, and also does a small part to make sure that Chris and Scott make it to Star Wars Celebration 6 this August.